the fun thing about conversations is that you don't know where you're going when you begin. For me, the excitement of a podcast is two people sitting down and exploring a new territory together, with no map and sometimes not even a destination, just an entry gate. Today's conversation fits the bill perfectly, and the topic is an interesting one. What does it mean for a counselor to have power? How did Jesus use his power? We certainly don't come with an exhaustive answer, but I hope you'll enjoy the hike through the unknown territory in our episode today. You're listening to CCEF On The Go, a podcast of the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation. Here at CCEF, we are committed to restoring Christ to counseling and counseling to the church. You can find our podcasts, books, articles, videos, and more resources for Christ-centered pastoral care at our website, ccef.org. Welcome to CCEF On The Go. I'm your host, Alistair Groves, a faculty member here at CCEF. And today I'm talking with my colleague, Todd Stride. Todd, thanks for being here. Hi, Officer. Todd, I know there's a passage you were hoping to spend a little time thinking about, unpacking some implications from today. Um, you want to just tell me a little bit about what's on your mind about uh, Philippians 2? Yeah, I'd love to. So Philippians 2, it's a, I think the way to, to describe it is that it's a passage that it hasn't, I haven't brought it right into counseling, but it's, it's a passage that has informed how I think about counseling. And I, I, it's probably fair to say that it's informed how I think about a lot of, a lot of life. And so it's a well-known, well-liked passage, and it, and it speaks to a lot in the Christian life. It encapsulates a lot. And where I found it particularly speaking to me as of late is um, the notion of, of power, huh. of our ability to influence people and things and situations. Um, and, and the way that I think Philippians 2 speaks to our understanding of power is that what we see is, in Philippians 2, we see Jesus being presented as equal with God. So in, in a sense, we could say he's like a king. He is king of the universe, hmm. who in very nature God. And <clears throat> then what happens, if we look at it, is we see in Philippians 2, we get a glimpse of how Jesus, the king, is going to choose to rule and mm -hmm. exercise his power. Hmm. That's, that's fascinating. Even just before you, you go any further, I'm, what you're saying is absolutely uh, making sense to me. It's just that Philippians 2 is such, it's so well known as a passage on humility, I've never thought about it through the lens of power before. But as soon as you say that, I'm immediately going, well, of course, right? You know, being in very nature God, I, I, I can see where you're going, but I love the way you're, you're capturing this passage only makes sense, it only works if you start with King of the Universe as your launching point. So go on, I'm, I'm interested. Yeah, and the beautiful thing is that 
This is not about Jesus despising power or abandoning power. This is about Jesus exercising power in a way that turns human conventional wisdom about how to rule, how to use power upside down on its head. So Jesus, the King of the universe, who in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant. So it is, it is radical to see that one form of using power correctly and wisely is to use it as a servant. And we see this, and so this is, we could probably say that this is Paul actually working out some of these things, talking about what it means to be wise, what it means to be like God, what it means to be like Christ in ruling. And so Paul says, the way that this shows up is the person who chooses to use power in servant form will consider others better than himself, will consider the interests of others. And then later on, Paul says, I think speaking in the same way, choosing to rule in humility means pouring oneself out as a drink offering. Hmm. Hmm. And this is in contrast, if, even if we, so if this is what, if this is what Paul is talking about, somebody, the, the ruler of the universe giving or ch choosing to use and exercise power in the way of a servant we actually see Jesus talking about this in Matthew 20, 25 to 28, where he says, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. It shall not be so among you. The greatest among you must be your servant. Hmm. Todd, I suspect this is where you're going. Um, as I'm, <clears throat> I'm following what you're saying, Jesus has power, one way of wielding that power is, and even as I say that one way, I mean, arguably the way, right? The the core wielding of his power, the core exercise of power is, is this choice to become a servant. Um, are you going to say, do you want to say more about how that then plays out, why that's actually powerful? I mean, we, we know it is, we see it, Paul tells us it is in this passage, and uh, you know, in that introductory four verses of the chapter, he's saying, look, if Jesus has loved you, and if you have fellowship with his spirit, the implication of that, the, the necessary outflowing of that is that you would love each other by putting each other's interests ahead of your own. Look, you're, you should have the same mind, the same attitude as Christ had. And, and yet, in one sense, we still haven't said what is actually powerful about taking the place of a servant. Um, is that part of what you're considering? I think so. I, what what this does for me, and I think where this should lead us to is to recognize. I, I don't know. If, I don't know if we get it here, but this, but this is, but it ultimately leads us to what to do with power. I think the first thing to do is to say we all live in a world where power is everywhere. Mm. Power differentials and navigating um, 
navigating use of power mm-hmm. is is everywhere and there's there's two things that probably get us in trouble first is if we are um, ignorant of either the power around us mm-hmm. or the power we wield on any given moment of the day mm-hmm. for example power differentials are going to be present related to what kind of roles you have if you're a father or a mother, if you're an older sibling, those are all going to be roles that have power built into them. If you're older than somebody, most likely there's going to be a power differential. If you're stronger, if you're healthier, if you're smarter, if you're of a racial majority, there's going to be power. Socioeconomic status has power. Um, Employers, elders, exactly. sure. So we, if you're in relationship and if you're in the world, there is going to be a way in which you have power to affect somebody else. Some have more, some have less, but we usually always have a place where we can use our power either to build up or to destroy. And, and you're highlighting that it's not just relationships where there's sort of a formally explicit relationship of power, right? Like... I'm the elder in a church that's given me a certain authority and a certain responsibility for, for the flock, but I might be a smaller, small group leader, or I might just be, you know, 16, and I'm talking to somebody who's 14, and they're looking up to me whether I like that or not, and yeah. and so on and so forth. Yep. It's, it's inescapable. Right. If you spend enough time thinking about all the different ways in which you interact with somebody, words have power to influence and especially those words have all the more power if you are older, if you're an employee, an employer, if you're an elder, if you're a big brother. Um, right. And I think what where Philippians 2 comes in is we need to know what to do with power. Hmm. And human convention, and I think human limitations just sort of says you you lord it over people. Even if it's right. sort of to, sure. to, do, to try to do good, it's only in the lording it over. And Jesus changes the dynamics where he says, no, the way, another way to use power, to exercise the power you have, is to become a servant. And I think this naturally flows in my mind. The, way I, the reason I've been thinking about it in part not only does it affect how I do relationships at church and in my family, but it also helps me to think about the counseling relationship because there is a power differential in the counseling relationship Mm -hmm. by virtue of training, potentially skills, and the fact that people are coming in need and are requesting help. So there's all kinds of power that's intrinsic just in that relationship alone. Hmm. Hmm. <clears throat> you know, it's interesting. I um, Just thinking about, about the servant-leader dynamic that's certainly present throughout Scripture, and I, I mean, I think you see the roots of that in, in Genesis and in, in creation. God obviously the leader in, in creation and in dictating and yet even even as you watch what he he does he's creating an environment 
that is suitable for the man. And then he says, you need a helper. I'm going to bring that helper to you. And there's this way in which his sovereignty, his authority is being used for the good of those uh, whom he is over. This is not a lording it over. This is rather a, a fellowship with and actually even even serving, strangely serving his own creatures. Every other you know, creation myth out there, you know, that's in a you know, Babylonian context or whatever at, at that time, you know, they're all showing people as slaves and people as sort of the pawns in this game that the gods play. Yeah. Uh, from Genesis 4, we see a god who, who chooses to serve. And uh, I, you know, I, don't, I haven't done the in-depth word study, but even just God as our helper. You know, that, that word helper, I think the Hebrew word is ezer, is used over and over of God more than anyone else as helper. It's just an interesting... You're seeing the seeds of it even before the New Testament yeah. sort of blows it wide open. What I think is, um, what I think is often been a little bit of a hang-up for me in understanding what does good servant leadership look like is, is when you get to a passage like this, he made himself a servant. Um, usually, when you think about servants, you think about someone who is taking orders. One of the fundamental things about servants is that they do not get to, to set the agenda; they don't get to decide. But that's actually not necessarily the primary or only way to think about what a servant is. A servant fundamentally, at, at the most core, is simply someone who makes it their duty, makes it their goal, makes it their, their purpose to, to bring benefit to another. They're looking outward, outside. And I think that's, as you're bringing up the counseling context, I'm thinking, okay, what does it look like to be a servant leader in counseling when the explicit reason that someone is coming to talk to you, at least in a formal counseling setting, is because they think you have something to tell them. They think that you have an agenda that's going to be helpful to them. Yeah. Uh, I remember one time working with a guy um, a number of years back who, whose comment after um, some, uh, some, some counseling was, he said, you know, I remember it was really clear to me within the first 20 minutes of our first time talking. I said, oh, wow this counselor has an agenda. And he said that in a good sense. You know, I want someone who actually has a way to help me. Um, and so we're, we're sort of as counselors in this interesting place in which if our purpose isn't the benefit of another person, we're lost. But if all we do is take direction from another person, we're also lost. Yep. Yeah, there is a... I think there's a weightiness to recognizing power. It's better... It's... You know, ignorance is bliss. If I don't recognize power, <laughs> right. I, I don't have to actually consider what right. I'm doing with it. But if we go all the way back to Genesis, like you said, even Genesis 1, I think it's 28, the cultural mandate, sure. it's all about we have power as God's vassal kings and queens to impact, to affect, to influence the world. And, and I think it's really significant that that we understand the weight of having power. So when somebody comes into the counseling office and meets with me, there is an expectation that I have a knowledge and that I have a skillfulness. And, and I have to be willing to, um, to accept to that power, right. to own right. that. And, and there's a responsibility for me to not take upon a power that I actually am not competent to hold. Mm. And maybe one last thing that I'm thinking of is another reason this is important to me is if me or anybody else, if we are not aware of power, if we 
pretend it's not there, we're so much more likely to hurt people, mm. even unintentionally. Mm. Because if we don't recognize the power we have, then we will not recognize the slightest impact that we can have both positively or negatively on people's lives. And so that's why, as a father, if I'm aware of my power, I'm also aware of the minuteness of the words that can either build up or destroy, or as a, as a, um, a counseling coordinator, as a, mm. as a counselor, um, all, that my words and my actions have weight to them because there is power and it's real. It's funny, I feel like in, in one sense we're sort of a, a approaching this this topic um, in the opposite order from how we often come to things in life, where usually you start with the problem, right? The problem is, ah, I'm hurting people, or you know, people don't realize that this power is being wielded, and, and we're sort of starting with, okay, here is, here's what it should look like. Here's what it can be. Here's the glorious theology of servant leadership in which you you recognize that you can have influence. And I feel like in one sense you're actually highlighting sort of the the, the twin dangerous poles. Like on the one hand, if you don't acknowledge you have power and you just sort of walk around and you have this, you know, big baseball bat over your shoulder that you're not acknowledging is there, then every time you turn a corner, you're smacking people in the head and knocking vases yeah. over. And, you know, you just, if you're not aware of it or you don't acknowledge it, you're going to do injury and damage. The other, however, the other danger is to, is to seek to to be a servant, to help, to do things, and, and then to take sort of more of an, oh, shucks, I don't really have any power, you know, to, to deny yeah. it rather than to be ignorant of it. And, well, I guess these are both, these are the two poles of mm -hmm. uh, attempting to underwield power. And obviously there's also the aggressive, you know, I, I lord it over, like the Gentiles that Jesus is speaking about in Matthew 25. But you've got, um, you've got this twin danger of either uh, not realizing it or of being so aware of it and so trying to get rid of it that you um, that you either hamstring yourself and you don't do any good and you can't be of help to people and you refuse to use influence for what it is intended to be, right? I mean, our God speaks all of creation into existence with words and as his image bearers, our words have power to bring things into existence. We can change somebody's perspective and that can have ripple effects for the rest of their lives. You know, that's a that's a massive power to wield, and it's kind of scary when you think about it. Yeah. Um, and so I think there's, I, I think I say all that just knowing myself and, and realizing that I can tend to, I, I, I tend to want to avoid the sobering sense of responsibility that comes with recognizing influence and power. And so I try to sort of say, ah, oh, well, you know, I don't really know that much, or I'm not really yeah. qualified to say, and it's like, you yeah. It is not humble to deny gifting that God has given you. It's not humble to try to wheedle your way out of responsibility. Nowhere in Philippians 2 is it saying Jesus was like, ah, I'm not really as good as God. It's He didn't grasp onto it. He served, and the power of that influence has melted human hearts for 2,000 years. Um, and billion, plus billions, I don't know what the numbers are these days, you know, but this has been the most radical influence of all time by giving power away in one sense. Uh, in another sense, Jesus never relinquishes one iota of his authority and his responsibility to, to serve. Uh, so I'm just, I'm thinking about those twin poles, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and, and tying this back to Philippians 2, 
if, if our goal is to help people flourish, the way that Jesus sets this up is he says, as somebody with power, if you want to help people flourish, it doesn't mean you have to lord it over them to get them to flourish. You can actually go underneath them. You can actually assist them to flourish by almost becoming minute that you, you can operate in such a way that they don't even recognize you're there. But the power that you're wielding in doing that and facilitating that actually helps them to flourish. It is a better way of ruling. You had enormous power. You could choose a thousand different ways to help these people, this person. And you could choose to dominate and have this strict agenda into, into control. But you find that ruling is and exercising power actually works better when you become almost non-existent and and you you just facilitate growth in in asking questions or in, in encouraging and moving forward you can actually become you can actually be small in the way that Christ became small mm-hmm. and it actually yields greater results it's a better use of power can we take just one last minute here and and bring this into the as much as possible into the concreteness of hey I'm actually counseling with someone I'm actually discipling someone in a difficult context are you saying something like this there's a temptation to sort of roll up your sleeves and tell the person what to do and say okay you need to do X you need to do Y here's your answer uh, where actually a more Christ-like wielding of power is or could be, uh, at least, going to that person and saying, let's look at this together. And and coming not with um, a set of answers, not with a set of do this or read this passage, but rather a, um, I'm trying to put words on it, a humility, certainly, but but a, a servant approach to power and influence that seeks rather to um, spark things in that person, help them make connections that will be all the more powerful if they are the one who makes it rather than they're handed it? Is that the direction you're thinking? I think that's a huge part of it is as, as counselors, I think we need to be proficient. I think as just God's people, we need to be proficient in all the ways of exercising power. Mm. And sometimes it is direct and dogmatic or confrontative or leading very concretely. But I think what Jesus does in Philippians 2 is he just, he allows us to see that there is another flip side that is radical and that is coming alongside in a way that that gives the other person voice and like what you're saying. And mm. so we, a part of the power is we as counselors need to be able to assess which exercising of power will best help this person flourish. Mm. Mostly, it tends to be that the people that come to us are weak, faint-hearted, in need of support, encouragement. And so a confrontative admonishing, strong um, agenda of power, it doesn't, it doesn't help 
people grow. And so we have to read our audience, we have to read the person in front of us, but we have to also be proficient in, I think, all forms of flourishing right. of people well. Right. And hence also aware of the places where we may have a tendency to exactly. run right to the hammer or run right to the tissue. And I recognize that neither approach is going to be right for every situation. Um, and hence, you're, you're really giving us a diagnostic question of who is this person I'm looking at? How can I best help them? Is it going to be by, uh, I guess, in, either, in any sense, you're you're being a servant and you're saying it is your good that is my priority. And that's what love is fundamentally. Um, but then you're you're just saying you've got to recognize where where the where the servant move, even when you have power, can be uh, this this coming underneath rather than coming from above. Yeah. Well put. Yeah. Well, thank you, Todd. I appreciate the the food for thought here. And I look forward to another conversation in the near future. It's been a pleasure. I always like to recommend a resource from our website because it is such a treasure trove of content that my colleagues have poured so much time and wisdom into. Today I'm recommending a blog by Ed Welch that I didn't even know was up there myself till I started searching for content on power, but I thought it fit perfectly. It's called Power Differentials in Counseling and it hits directly on the main theme Todd and I were musing about. As always, you can find that link on our website, which is ccef.org podcast, and that'll be right below today's episode. If you have any feedback, anything you want to tell us about today's episode, we would love to hear from you. Email us at podcast at ccef.org. Till next time, blessings. Blessings.